Good morning, church. This morning we're going to be talking about forgiveness. It takes faith to forgive somebody. It takes faith to say to God, this person has wronged me, but I'm going to trust you, Lord, and I'm going to take all of my pain and all of my wounds and all of my fear and all of my patience, and I'm going to give it to you because I know that you love me and your love for me is greater than anything they could do to me. And I know that if I have been forgiven, then I have the power to forgive. The problem is that we will find just about any excuse we can not to forgive people. I get this one a lot. I, uh, I, just don't, want, I don't want to think about it right now. I'll think about it later. That mm, never happens. Or uh, I don't think they're ready. I think they need to blank. Need to put the terms on them. Well, that's we know that's just pretense because, of course, your forgiveness of people is never dependent on anything that they do. People hurt us, they wound us, they offend us. I think I've been in ministry now for not, not long. Y'all are like, yeah, tell me about it. Um, but I've been hurt a lot. People hurt me. Sheep bite. Oh, mm, get my staff out. Mm. And uh, I got to forgive. Church is where we forgive people too. It's not a non, it's not like we, we have a forgiveness free zone in the church. People in the church need forgiveness, and people in the church should understand forgiveness more than anybody. We're all forgiven people. But we are so hurt and so wounded and so offended, sometimes we don't even know it. We can live with unforgiveness and really not even recognize it in our lives. It could be something that someone said, it could be someone that um, something they didn't say. We could be feeling singled out. We could be feeling left out. Sometimes our sin and our pride makes us think that people hurt us when really someone didn't even hurt us. It's just our pride that's hurting us. But everyone who gets their feelings hurt, everyone who's ever wronged by another person has to make a choice. Am I going to punish that person for what they've done to me? And we can find a lot of ways to punish people, can't we? You don't got to get the bad out. You don't even have to open your mouth. I tell you what, sometimes Abby Todd can be a, I can master the art of the cold shoulder. You don't even have to, you don't even know I'm doing it. But I'm making you pay. It sounds harmless, but it's not. Am I going to give that person the cold shoulder? Am I going to treat that person differently now? Sometimes you do. We'll get into that later for, for, good, for good reasons. Am I going to give that person what they gave me? Am I going to stew on it in my mind a little bit? The world says this. I want you to know and feel just exactly what you've done to me. Therefore, I'm going to pay you back. And I'm going to withhold forgiveness. And God in the gospel says this. I want you to know exactly what you've done to me. So I'm going to show you the depths of your sin on the cross by having my son take all of your punishment and then I'm going to forgive you. Here's an idea this morning. 
Nobody understands the weight of their transgressions against God more than the repentant and forgiven believer in Jesus. Because the believer in Jesus has to stare at the cross and say, I did that. And God designed the gospel in such a way that we have to look at a crucified Christ and we have to come to terms with before we can say, Jesus did that for me, the sinner has to say, I did that to Jesus. And forgiveness has a strange way of freeing us from our sin while at the same time showing us the gravity of our sin. There is not one one unbeliever walking this earth today who fully understands the dishonor that they have incurred upon the living God. They may understand what they've done to themselves, they may understand what they've done to other people, but the unbeliever does not understand the infraction and the transgressions that they they have committed against the holiness of God. Only Christians... Only people who believe in the blood-bought gospel of Jesus truly recognize the evil of sin and the costliness of grace. Here's the gospel this morning. By sending His only Son to die on the cross meant for us, God not only shows us how much He loves us, but He also shows us how much we deserve in hell. Therefore, by virtue of believing in Christ, we know the worth of Jesus and the weight of sin. In Genesis 45, Joseph's brothers will fully understand the weight of what they've done against Joseph. They're going to know it. They're going to feel it. This is one of the, my favorite stories in Genesis, probably of all the, in, the, in the Bible. Here's a recap. Here's what we've missed. Well, a little bit of what we've had so far. Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Genesis 39, Joseph is wrongfully thrown into prison by Potiphar. Genesis 40, Joseph interprets two prisoners' dreams. They both come true. The cupbearer, who actually goes and does it and is not killed, goes to Pharaoh. It says, cupbearer completely forgot about Joseph. In Genesis 41, Pharaoh has a dream. Then the the cupbearer goes, wait a minute, I know a guy who had a dream once. Pharaoh says, get him. Summons Joseph. Joseph interprets his dream. What does the dream mean? The dream means that they're going to have seven years of complete Plenty in the land, followed by seven years of famine. Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of everyone in Egypt. Joseph is lord of Egypt. Genesis 42, a global famine comes. Guess who comes walking into Egypt? Joseph's brothers. Joseph recognizes his brothers. His brothers don't recognize him. Joseph accuses them of being spies. He's playing with them a little bit and tells them to go back to Canaan and get their youngest brother, Benjamin, while he holds Simeon. He says, you're not going to see Simeon if you don't go get Benjamin. They said, fine, we'll go. Well, he hides money in their sacks to make it look as if they stole something, stole grain uh, from them. Genesis 43, they they come back to Egypt with double the money. Joseph invites his brothers to dine with him, asking for their father Jacob. They still don't know who Joseph is. And then in Genesis 44, Joseph decides to test his brothers, puts money in each of their sacks, puts a silver cup in Benjamin's sack, and says, Benjamin has to pay. And of course, this is just a death warrant for Jacob because his brothers know that if Benjamin doesn't come back, Jacob is going to die. 
And Joseph has them right where he wants them. Begging, pleading, humble, desperate. If you'll turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45. And once you've found it, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. Therefore I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household, all that you have, do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After this, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in the Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your, your brothers, Do this, load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob, and they told him, Jesus, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe, in, believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had, had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Let's pray. Father, what an amazing story. A story of forgiveness. A story almost nearly like the gospel itself. Father, let us come back to the truth of grace, which is that we, all those who call upon the name of Jesus, are forgiven. 
and that because we have had our iniquities washed away, that we can forgive those who do not deserve to be forgiven. Thank you for the power of forgiveness that we find in the gospel, and thank you for the spirit of adoption, which says that because we have now found a family, we can turn rebels, we can turn enemies into friends. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the summary this morning. That was a lot of reading. Instead of paying back to his brothers what they had done to him, Joseph invites his brothers to stay at his home in his land and offers them the best that Egypt has to offer. As a type of Christ, Joseph returns his brothers' hate with love, compassion, and grace. So after being sold into slavery, Joseph... I'm going to call Joseph Jesus. Y'all got to bear with me. The, the parallels are remarkable. Joseph still loves his brothers and he loves his father. Joseph has even told them that there's no hard feelings. Can we imagine the looks on Joseph's brothers as all of this is happening? Disbelief and a ton of guilt. There's weeping, there's hugging, there's more weeping. Pure grace all around. If you're Joseph's brother, what can you do? Have you ever been caught doing something red-handed and you, you just didn't even, have a, didn't even have a plea? You just went, yeah, did it. That's about what happens here. You can't say anything. Hi, my name's Joseph. Do you remember me? I'm one of your brothers. A, I'm still alive. Two, don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. Number three, you took my coat. I, I, I still remember that. Four, you're forgiven. Five, here's the best of all that I have. What a story. I'm basically king of Egypt now. I'm turning the tables. Last time you saw me, I was in a pit. Now I'm Lord. Perfect time for revenge, would it not be? Perfect time. Ha! Guess who's not in the pit now? Guess who needs my grain? Doesn't go down like that, does it? Romans 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I mean, you got to think, when he sees them coming, hey, uh, Joseph, we got people coming. Yeah, we got a lot of people coming. It's fine. No, I think, hold on. Look at that. Look who needs me now. You know what, I'm going to, you know, you got to think, what's going on in Joseph's head? For a second, I think if I were Joseph, I'd go, I'm going to have some fun. He doesn't do that. He doesn't repay evil for evil. He does what's honorable in the sight of God. Joseph's logic goes like this. I'm the ruler of Egypt by God's grace. I'm alive by God's grace. I can't withhold grace. Genesis 45.8 says this. So it was not you who sent me here, he says to his brothers, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. In other words, it's okay, guys. There's no room for unforgiveness for me. In any marriage, as I was reading this, I kept thinking, in most marriages, in my experience, nine times out of ten, there's always one spouse that wants to talk about everything and when there's a problem, and then there's another spouse that wants to bottle everything up. I'm, 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 I'm sensing that there's communication going on amongst the spouses right now. I'm the one who bottles it up. 
Kelly wants to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. I'd rather we just not talk about it. And my temptation is to think, since I'm not, I'm the non-verbal, can y'all believe that I'm the non-verbal one sometimes? <laughs> my temptation is to think that since I'm not saying anything, since I'm not doing anything, that somehow my bitterness is less than hers. That's not how it works. You can be a vindictive, vengeful, bitter person without saying a word. And even silently repaying someone's evil can be sinful before the Lord. Joseph could have let his brothers go. He could have said in his mind, I don't even want, I don't want anything to do with them. Give her the grain. Let them go home. He could have said all those things. Didn't have to give them a thing, but let them go. He could have let them live. Them not be the wiser. Gone on his way. He could have done all those things. And he still would have been in sin. Because he would have been resting on what happened. But there's so much bottled up inside of Joseph. Look, everybody's crying for dang near two chapters. Verses 4 to 15. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept on them after his brothers talked with him. Joseph's crying. Benjamin's crying. Everybody's crying. And everybody's crying for different reasons. Joseph is ready to forgive and have his brothers back. Benjamin is missing his brother who he barely ever knew. His brothers have an incredible amount of guilt that they've been holding on to. But we need to understand that love does more than forgive. Listen to me. Love does more than forgive. Joseph doesn't just forgive his brothers, does he? Scripture says he provides for them, and he says, with, with Pharaoh's blessing, here's everything I have, the best of Egypt, here it is. And Jesus does the very same in the gospel, does he not? He, Jesus pardons our sins, he invites us into his family, he gives us his inheritance, he gives us faith, hope, and love, he gives us righteousness, he gives us peace, he gives us joy. Christians are more than a forgiven people. We're a blessed people. We walked into God's kingdom. We walked into the Father's kingdom. And Jesus, Lord, says, here's the best of all I've got. Can you imagine the thankfulness and the gratefulness of the brothers? Because they're not just forgiven. They're blessed. Christians are more than forgiven people. And to love someone is not just to forgive them. It's to want their Good. There's a scene in one of my favorite movies called Shawshank Redemption. Raise your hand if you've seen Shawshank Redemption. If you haven't, shame on you and you need to go see it. There's an older prisoner there named Brooks who's been there like 50 or 60 years and he's been in prison so long that it's the only life he knows and he doesn't want to leave. And once his sentence is done... He walks outside of the prison and the gates go, and he just, he's a misfit in society because he doesn't know what to do. He has no family left. The job he has, he doesn't like. He's scared. He's afraid. He paid his debt to society, but he has no real place in it. And that's what it's like to be forgiven, but not accepted. At the cross, Jesus doesn't just pay our debt and leave us at the gate. He gives us His Spirit so that when we get out of prison, we have a family waiting for us. That's the gospel. 
The most beautiful thing about Genesis 45 isn't that Jesus' brothers get grain or that they've been spared from the famine or even that Joseph forgives them. It's that they have the very best that Egyptian money can buy. When people afflict us and they hurt us and they leave scars, sometimes it's very hard to forgive. But if you're struggling right now to forgive someone, you need to think about a couple things. One, when faced with the decision whether to forgive someone, the first is we need to repeat the promises of God so that we remind ourselves of God's grace. I'm a child of the living God. I've been adopted into his family. I've been forgiven of my sins. God delights in me and loves me unconditionally. He's given me all things. He's given me the spirit of adoption. He's clothed me in righteousness. He's given me peace. That's the power of forgiveness when we remember and recall the grace of the gospel. There is no forgiveness unless we recall what God has done for us on the cross. Number two, forgiveness is not just about trying to forget what someone has done. That's not forgiveness. Here's, here's what forgiveness is. Not holding someone's transgressions against them, not paying them back what they've done to you, because Christ has wiped clean the record of your iniquities. Forgiveness isn't making light of what people have done. In fact, forgiveness is acknowledging what they've done and knowing that it's wrong and knowing that it's evil. I told you all that about that one time uh, that I apologized to somebody. I was like, hey, I'm sorry about that. And they're like, you're forgiven. I was like... And that little, that little... That was because I didn't think I needed to be forgiven. We say, think, we say sorry about things sometimes, and we don't really think we need forgiveness, do we? It's just that little southern-ism we do. We're sorry about that. No, you're forgiven. Then I was offended. I'd said I was sorry about something, then he forgave me, and I was like, oh, hold on, I don't think I needed to be forgiven there. We do it all the time. But that's not what God does at the cross, does He? He says, no, 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 you do need to be forgiven. Your acts were evil. You don't deserve my grace. You are a criminal. You are a wretch. You are a rebel. Acknowledge it. Now believe in my grace. Now be pardoned. There's a ton of Christianized, speaking Bobblese, southern Christians going, I'm forgiven. The second they look at their, they're accused of what they've really done, the second they have to come face to face with their sin, they're like, I don't need that. We get that all the time in the Bible Belt. But if we want to be forgiven, if we want to understand the true heart of forgiveness, let's remember 1 John 1, 8-9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As someone who has to confess their sins to God, you understand now that you forgiving somebody isn't even dependent on them. Imagine if his brothers... Imagine if... Who, who was one of the ringleaders there? Uh, Reuben? No, Reuben was against him. Imagine if uh, one of the brothers said, Hold on now. I, know. I just did that because you were a loud mouth. You know what I think Joseph would have done? Don't matter, I forgive you anyway. What if, they, what if all the brothers kind of came up and they'd been unrepentant and they were like, no, 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 no. We don't need your forgiveness. Are we glad we did what we did. I think Joseph had so much love in his heart, he'd go, you know what, I don't even, I don't, I don't need your lack of repentance for me to forgive you. It hurts though too, doesn't it? When someone doesn't want your forgiveness, when someone doesn't think they've wronged you, but the power of the gospel is the power to say it doesn't matter. 
You did wrong. I did wrong. And Jesus forgave us both on the cross, therefore I can forgive you. But I doubt, Scripture doesn't say that his brothers are unrepentant. In fact, his brothers are, (laughs) we're so sorry, oh my gosh, there's so much crying there, I can't even really depict accurately what's going on here. Here's number three thing to remember. The goal of forgiveness is not to forget. Some of us want to forgive people so that we just don't have to think about it anymore. That's not only unrealistic, it's unbiblical. One, you're a human being and you ain't never going to forget someone wronging you. But two, what's the true essence of forgiveness? The essence of forgiveness is to love that person. And what is the essence of love? To want that person, want the best for that person. That's hard. Some of y'all might be going, well, I'll be, I've forgiven a person. doesn't mean I want what's best for them. Nah, you can't have one and not the other. I'll be, I've forgiven that person, but I, mean, I, I, I'm gonna, I ain't going to be buying them no car anytime soon. No, that's, that's not what it means. Wanting the best for someone doesn't have to mean you, you're best buddies with them. But w- wanting the best for someone means I want what's best for you so much, you're going to walk away and I'm going to pray for you. I want what's best for you. I hope you find a church. I hope you have faith. I hope you follow the living God. I hope you are discipled in God's word. And I hope you find your joy, peace, and righteousness in Jesus. And I hope that I can call you a brother or sister. That's what's wanting good for somebody. Here's another one I hear all the time, and I've said this one all the time, and it's not a, it's not a sin to say it because there's some truth to it, but we've got to be careful. I hear this one a lot. Well, I forgave them, but I ain't going to forget. Everybody here has said that. And there's some truth to it. We, we have to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, do we not? Sometimes forgiven people... Or forgiven sinners are still sinners. Sometimes forgiving somebody doesn't mean, I think, what what does Paul say? Uh, Forgive someone and live at peace with them in as much as possible. We're not idiots when we forgive people. We're not naive. But when I hear a lot of people say that, they go, I forgive them, but I ain't going to forget. I can tell when they say that whether A is true whether they have forgiven them. Um, but here's the thing. We, B, B doesn't even need to be in the sentence because no one ever forgets. I have never found someone who truly forgot when someone utterly and completely wronged them. Now, sometimes that happens. But the goal of forgiveness is not to forget the sin. The goal of forgiveness is to understand, as Joseph did, when Joseph comes face to face with his brothers, he hasn't forgotten what's changed. He knows that God has orchestrated it for good. The best part of this passage is Jacob's reaction when he hears that Joseph is alive. His heart becomes numb, it says. He is so happy. He's an old man. It says in verse 27, the spirit of their father was revived. My son's back from the dead. The person who has been forgiven their sins by God is a sinner who has been completely raised from the dead. We are people. Christians are resurrected people, are we not, church? 
When you've been brought back to life, you don't return to the graveyard and start taunting the corpses that you refuse to forgive. When you've been resurrected, you don't start acting like dead people. When you've been raised alive, you don't return to your chains. When you have been freed, when you have been forgiven, you don't return to the grave. Forgiven people do not withhold forgiveness living in the light of God's grace. Forgiveness is freedom. Have you ever also understood, been on the other side of it, when someone finally forgives you and you go, Sometimes forgiving someone can be the most benevolent, merciful, gracious, good thing you could ever do. Joseph pardoned his brothers and wiped the slate clean. And friends, today the gospel of Jesus Christ says that for all who will believe in him, you get a clean slate. But you get more than a clean slate. You get a new family. You get new robes. If you think the Technicolor dream coat, I call it that because there was a movie and a thing. Anyway. But what does he do? It's like Jacob, and when God, when we, he comes into our family, God says, here's a royal robe now. And it's called the righteousness of Jesus. The cross is about forgiveness of sins, but the cross is also about starting a new life and walking in just like every one of us have. When you come face to face with judgment, you are just like one of Joseph's brothers walking into Egypt. Don't, don't read this passage like, yeah, that's what I would do. I'm Joseph. You know, people wrong me. I'm secondly Joseph. Put the shoe on the other foot. You are the betrayer. I am the one who stood against my brothers. We are the ones who don't deserve to be forgiven. And it is Jesus Christ who is the true Joseph. And he offers forgiveness to all who would believe in him. And I invite you to do that this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are so full of love that the love of Joseph pales in comparison. You are so powerful that your lordship makes Joseph look like a beggar. Your kingdom is so utterly pristine and holy and good that it makes the most powerful kingdoms in Egypt look like nothing. And Father, we have done immeasurably more evil than Joseph's brothers, and yet you offer us each a forgiveness and a kindness and a love that is unimaginable. Father, as we said last week, because of your grace and because of the gospel and because of the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, we know that you are for us, that the Son is with us, and the Spirit is in us. And if you are for us, who can be against us? And all these things we ask in Jesus' name, amen.